Chance on for Virgin all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What a Continue to pick up points in the Premier League as the Foxes welcome the misfiring champions this weekend. In association with footballkitmarket.com, it's for Fox's sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox's Sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me, Rob Hayes. Rob, is it snowing where you are? It has been snowing on and off for the last couple of days. Yeah, we had a heavy shower a couple of hours ago, but and I, which I thought was going to settle, but it didn't. So no snow day from school this week. I had a snow day last week, but yes, very, very cold up north. How is it for you Midlanders? Well, it just shows you with the the bands. Yeah, I'm talking weather now. I'm, I'm, I'm moving my arms at the same time, kind of uh, Michael Fish style. With, with the bands and the ribbons of snow coming through, it's absolutely hammered it down with snow at Seagrave, by the looks of things, where the training ground is. But where I am, which is not a million miles away at all from Seagrave, it's a 10-minute drive, 15-minute drive to get there. It's We've had bits, but not an awful lot. So uh, it just shows you, you know, you can be a few miles from somewhere and get loads and then only a few miles away, you not don't get an awful lot. So, uh, But yeah, some, some great pictures of the, the training ground today in the snow. Not too sure when it's helped. Uh, the actual training, but they were inside in that massive dome and all that sort of thing. So nice to see the facilities being well used. And we're on the back of a couple of positive results, a win and a draw in the Premier League. And then looking forward to the game on Saturday at home against Liverpool. We also have the Brighton game, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, because of the amount of games uh, we're recording on the, the Tuesday evening, playing Brighton in the FA Cup tomorrow being Wednesday evening and then at home to Liverpool on the Saturday morning. So we'll be looking back at the two games in the Premier League, the win away at Fulham, the draw away at Wolves and then looking forward to the game against Liverpool, obviously depending on what happens in the FA Cup regarding injuries, people playing etc. But that's the basis of this podcast. And two decent results, Rob, I'm going to put down. The win against Fulham, 2-0 away at Craven Cottage. Ineacho getting on the score sheet, which was vitally important for him. And then a draw away at Wolves, which was, overall, you look back now and go, do you know what, a point there in a game where I don't think either side played really well. It was a strange game. It wasn't uh, littered with quality, I'd say. But overall, a point away, not bad. And now we're playing the defending champions, Liverpool, at the King Power. Their defence has somewhat gone sideways in recent weeks and months. And I'm going to just put it out there. But, well, they're there for the taking. It's quite an obvious thing to say. But this game, with players coming back for Leicester, with the problems Liverpool have got, this could be... And I know it's the early game, which tends to be, I always say, it's got the potential of being a nil-nil easily. The the opening games of a of a, of a weekend, the, the twelve thirty games tend to be tighter, low scoring affairs. But this 
has the potential to be a proper barn burner. It absolutely does, and it is very positive from a Leicester point of view to be approaching it on the back of, as you say, two generally positive results, especially off the back of the disappointment uh, in the defeat against Leeds. And it was it was a big sort of talking point um, in the build-up to the Fulham game and, and in the post-match uh, press contributions from both players and the manager, in that it was important to show that that they could respond straight away and that the defeat against Leeds didn't represent some kind of blip. Um, Straight back on it, away from home, against a team that had made themselves very difficult to beat over the last couple of months, which made the performance and result all the more pleasing. And then Wolves, regardless of what kind of season they've had and their struggles in front of goal, will always give you a game, especially at home. And it was just a, a stalemate, really. It was a game of fairly dull at times chess where nobody could find the manoeuvre that created an opening for a checkmate. And that's pretty much it. It was nil-nil. It was it was just one of those. But two away games against two teams diff- that are difficult to beat, four points, ahead of Liverpool at the moment in the Premier League, going into the game on Saturday. It's an interesting one because people's opinions of Leicester City, not that they matter particularly, but people's opinions of Leicester City seem to be changing game by game and result by result because in many areas, Leicester beating Fulham 2-0 away from home was Leicester strengthen their top four credentials, blah, blah, blah. And then you draw away at Wolves against a team that have had their well-documented issues in in the sense that they offloaded a few players in the summer with the hope of blooding some younger players through, but then lost a couple of senior players as well to injury. Um, Johnny, Jimenez, just to name a couple. Um, And all of a sudden, Leicester's title hopes are dented which is what uh, the BBC goes with. Their hopes of winning the Premier League title suffer a blow after they were held to a goalless draw at Midlands rivals Wolves. I've not got a lot of time for that introduction, if I'm being perfectly honest, because it's one game. Is it a blow? Mm, not really. It's it's We're fine. We're fine, aren't we? And we go into Saturday, as you say, in good spirits. Four points uh, from away games. Liverpool on the rocks. We're ahead of them in the Premier League. We, I, we I'm not saying we go into it as favourites, but we can quite rightly go into it with some optimism. We, we should do. I, I would slightly disagree there because I think the... The basis of that would be about the title, and I the title race is slowly becoming a, um, a well. It's, it's not even slowly. It is now the basis of can Man City or will Man City drop points? Will they fold? I don't think it really matters. Other sides will have to go on an amazing run, uh, which. Only at the moment, a side like Man City have put together. So when it comes to title race, I don't think there is one at the moment. I think the title race, which was plainly obvious six weeks ago, five weeks ago, even less than that. But because of Manchester City's consistent results, hardly conceding the goal at all, 
Uh, they're just an absolute winning machine at the moment. They are now five points clear of Manchester United with a game in hand. Uh, that increases to seven points ahead of Leicester with a game in hand. So now with the consistency they're showing, I just think it's now turned into it's Man City's to lose, really. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with you. I wasn't I wasn't necessarily saying we are in the title race. What what I mean is that us drawing away at Wolves is not the thing that is making this title race or or putting dents in anybody's title race. For me, it's a good solid point on our pro- progress towards pushing for making sure that we're in the top four because Man City win that game in hand and they're ten points clear of us. Us drawing at Wolves hasn't contributed to that massively us drawing at Wolves has made sure we've got a, a decent point there it is as you say it's the Manchester City winning machine that look at the moment unstoppable yeah I I, I just think at the moment title there's no, there isn't a title race that the Man City they have it in their hands and Leicester's race for the end of the season is the top four and realistically that was going to be the case but when you are second or top of the league which Leicester have been on a few occasions uh, then you are obviously in that race. But at the moment, unless something dramatic dramatic happens, it is a top four challenge. And I still think the, the main rivals will be your Chelsea's and your Tottenham's. I know they've just had two wins uh, between them recently. And uh, and Tottenham, it really revolves around the fitness of, of Harry Kane and Min Summer, especially Harry Kane, Chelsea, getting their act together with their new manager. And you just look at the picture at the moment, Chelsea, four points behind Leicester. Uh, Tottenham, further back than that. Uh, they're uh, currently seven points back, but they do have a game in hand. And I still think they're going to be the main rivals. But this game on Saturday, Liverpool just behind us in the league. What, three points offers. So they're in fourth, we're in third. Uh, this will go a long way to deciding whether both sides or just one of these sides finishes in the top four. Because slowly... We're getting towards the end of the season. Leicester have played 23 games, so we have 15 games left in the Premier League. Okay, slowly, when you look at the fixture list, you start to see those run of games towards the end of the season, which are going to go a long way because we've got a real tough finish. They're starting to creep up. and We're in the middle of that period of game after game after game. We mentioned at the start of the podcast. And Liverpool, it's a side who has been well documented they've got issues at the back they've made a couple of signings on the final day of the transfer window none of which featured at the heart of their defense in their loss at home against Manchester City uh, comprehensive defeats in defense was Jordan Henderson and Fabinho so the two midfield but then again that then weakens the midfield and then further forward etc etc and then on a, a difficult run of games it's going to be a very difficult game against Liverpool. Now, on the back of two good, I'm going to put down away performances, the, the Fulham game we mentioned, uh, a couple of really good goals, interesting goals, someone directly up front, even though we were championing Iosi Perez playing as a kind of a false nine, Brendan decided to throw uh, Kelechi Nacho, which we said it, it, it could well be the case that, even though he hasn't... Uh, played for Leicester, even coming off the bench in recent games, th- th- there would be no real surprise if he's just thrown in the deep end and said, right, Bosch, we need someone right up front in that nine position. And instead of playing, instead of Iosi Perez, they decided to play both. And it worked. 
and James Madison put it on a plate really for uh, Kelechi, but he needed to be in that position. And we haven't got another person in the in the squad at all, apart from Jamie Vardy, who would be in that position. Good header, goal. The second goal, fantastic. James Justin getting the on in, in on the end of a really good move and making the game secure. And then we go to Wolves, which we've mentioned already. The fact that it was just a, it was a game where I think just both sides lacked any real quality. Wolves, I watched their game against Arsenal and. It, they're a very strange side when they, without Raul Jimenez, they just really miss a, a focal point up top. And I thought Troy had one of his better games. He's been off this season, really, compared to the uh, the powerhouse that we saw previously in previous seasons, especially last season. He was a, a mainstay in, in many people's kind of fancy team. And at the start of this year, he started really well. And he's just really gone off the boil, technically. He's still a right man I don't think that's ever going to change and if you look at it's I know it's quite an easy thing to do because they're both called Triore but you look at the Triore plays for for Villa um a very effective player um and he does the simple things right and you look at then Triore for Wolves and as much as he's an absolute handful because he's obviously a proper unit James Justin I thought did ever so well against him but still struggled on many occasions, and you look at someone like, uh, you go back to say like a Heskey, and you go like, you just wanted him to shove people out of the way when he was at Leicester, and he did on occasion, uh, on, on more than one occasion, he, he you know really used his power and pace to great effect. And you look at Troy, I, I just think sometimes he's wasted out wide. I'd like to, I, I can't understand why without him and his up top, I would have just played him straight down the centre and let him use his attributes to their greatest ability, which I think is more central than on the wing, uh, because generally his final ball is poor, and he can look very clumsy, in my opinion. He hasn't really got the control of many a forward or many a winger in the Premier League, and I just think if he played down the centre, I think Wolves could use him better at the moment, especially with the, the, the lack of a Raul Jimenez. But anyway, um, overall, it was a game that just lacked quality. I don't think Yuri uh, uh, Tillemans had his best game for Leicester. And it just seemed that most most of the players were just struggling to control the board. I don't know whether it was the conditions or the... I don't know why, but it just seemed the game lacking in quality. And apart from that glaring, I won't say a miss, because Michael needs an awful lot of credit for the save. I don't think he got enough credit, but it was still put down as a glorious chance for Wolves. And then, of course, you've got the Vardy header. Now, I, I that was in. That was in. I was waiting for the net to go. And uh, Brendan, obviously, on the touchline thoughts, and I think everyone at home watching must have all been up and jumping up in the air thinking it was going to bust the back of the net, but no, just went wide. So you look at those two chances, and I think both sides will go, well, you know, we should have won it. We should have scored that chance, obviously. And then you look at Leicester, and yes, Vardy, we should have scored. And, well... Maybe the draw is the best, or the the result overall, which kind of matched the game really, nil-nil. So then you move on to the game against Liverpool, and I think really you can't really look at the Liverpool game on the basis of those two games away from home because it's going to be a different Leicester because it's going to have, hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood, a Jamie Vardy starting, and maybe even, depending on what happens against Brighton, Wilfred Ndidi in midfield. But... 
looking at the game coming up, Liverpool, you have to think, are going to be with their usual defence, if you know what I mean, with, say, a Henderson and, say, a Fabinho at the back. And Leicester must be trying to do everything they can to get Vardy in that team. And the whole basis of this game, in my opinion, has to be based on their lack of centre-half cover and how best that we can exploit that. Of course it does, yeah, because if you're looking for... Uh, potential weaknesses in a in a side as good as Liverpool's still is, recent results uh, notwithstanding. They are the defending champions. They have got a world-class front three. Um, yes, their midfield is, is lacking a little bit without the likes of Fabinho and Henderson in it because they've been sort of demoted, if you like, to centre-back. But yeah, Leicester have to look at the ways that they can exploit that. And it, it's interesting because... You'd back Jamie Vardy against centre-backs like the lad Davies that they bought from Preston uh, or the other fella that they got in on loan. You'd you'd back him against those if they came in and made the debut. Um, but also what you have got at the moment is now some, some video evidence from the last few games of, of the pairing of Fabinho and Henderson, how that looks and where their frailties may lie because Liverpool are used to having most of the ball, which which means that you can play sometimes get away with playing a centre-back, a, a, a centre-midfielder rather, at centre-back. Um, but you shouldn't really, against a team like Leicester that have got aspirations of being in the top four, well, deserved aspirations of being in the top four based on the, their current position, and they've got the most potent striker in the Premier League last season back to, let's say, at least 70, 75 minutes of his best touch wood, You've got to be looking at that and thinking, right, how do we exploit their weaknesses at the back? Because Liverpool surely are going to still come in and try and play with with confidence, even though they they perhaps don't have as much of it after recent results. But you would expect still to see Alexander-Arnold and Robertson pushing forward, which then surely further exposes Fabinho and... Henderson, or if it is a different centre-back playing there, then that person. And it presents lots of opportunities for Leicester to capitalise on that. What I hope we don't see is Leicester giving too much respect to Liverpool. Of course they deserve respect. Of course they've got threats coming from all areas of, of the pitch. So we'd have to be on our game defensively, which is which is why I think it's a real positive that we got clean sheets against Wolves and Fulham. Yeah, big tip of that of the cap to Schmeichel for that save against uh, João Felix. It was um, oh, uh, Silver and the striker Fabio Silva. Um, it was one of those where his. If you watch the immediate sort of play just before the ball breaks to him, Silver Schmeichel is off his line so so quickly. He he re he senses the danger. He closes that angle down. Silver against most of the goalkeepers in the Premier League, I think, would have a split second longer with that opportunity and would probably bury it. But Schmeichel is upon him so quickly. He's very explosive over a couple of yards, Schmeichel. And then he does the characteristic Schmeichel-esque, make yourself as big as you can and gets a graze of his foot on it to, to make sure that it's diverted the wrong side of the post. Brilliant, brilliant game. Well, well point-saving save isn't it, really? Um, 
and and just quickly on the Vardy thing, yes, I, I, my reaction was exactly the same as Brendan Rodgers. Both arms in the air, celebrating, half turning away, just not committing, not fully committing to the turn away until you see the net bulge and it didn't bulge. So the heads, the, the hands immediately go straight on the head and you're thinking, oh my goodness me, uh, if Vardy's not been out for 10 days, does he bury that? Don't know. There's a, there's a bit of a tension from the from the defenders, so we'll give him the benefit of the doubt for that one, but a point, a fair result. But yeah, Leicester have to, for for me, they have to go into the game on Saturday against Liverpool saying, like, we're on um, our game at the moment. I think Ndidi coming back will be a huge plus for us if it happens, because uh, I also agree with Roger's recent statements that Chowdhury in the midfield gives you more coverage, covers more ground. Physicality in there is is absolutely crucial. Um, so, and Didi coming back gives you one of the best defensive midfielders in the Premier League, which against an attack like Liverpool's, you absolutely need. So we've, we've got to go into it believing that we can win it. And I think that ultimately will be the difference there because Liverpool's confidence is a little bit rocked. They don't have any centre-backs of Premier League quality. So we've got to get at them from the get-go and actually commit bodies forward, which historically we haven't done in these kind of matches. Yeah, it's just another example of Kasper Schmeichel's fantastic season so far. And then when you look at other goalkeepers just this weekend, David De Gea making errors and the obvious one being Liverpool's goalkeeper, who's a fantastic keeper, what he was doing in the second half, especially against Manchester City. Absolutely no idea. Interesting, during that game, it was mentioned on commentary. I think it was a kind of a flippant remark, really, by I think it was Gary Neville, who mentioned that he'd been ill during the week, and he think he missed the previous game. And it was a cold, cold evening, and he stood there, and Neville, I, I think he said it tongue-in-cheek to say, he doesn't really, doesn't, I don't think he really fancies it. He looks doesn't look like he's still 100%. He's not well. And and at the time, I mentioned um, when he said it, I was like, yeah, I think that, that could well have a lot to do with it because he stood there and he looked quite pale. And every, when, he, when he got the ball and he made those areas, he oh, just passed the ball away quickly, almost in a, not even a horrid manner, but oh, I don't want that. I don't, he just didn't look like, look like he fancied it at all. And, uh, and and maybe there's something in there, but I think it was a, a kind of an off-the-cuff remark that might have had a, a little bit more truth behind it than uh, than at first appearance. But, yeah, so the goalkeeper's going to be... Because he's got the one person in the Premier League who's going to be closing him down at every opportunity, regardless of what happened in the previous game, but especially now. And whoever's going to be alongside Vardy, more than likely, say, a Madison and and Barnes, etc., then they're going to be closing them down at all opportunities, trying to get the ball passed back to him for obvious reasons. So that'll be a, a very interesting matchup. But it is an interesting conundrum in midfield. We'll know more against than what happens against Brighton regarding team news and, and people maybe playing for half an hour. If Wilf, for example, gets half an hour, then more than likely you'd say he, he maybe would start then against Liverpool and Vardy after coming off the bench again, depending on whether he gets full game time or maybe a half against Brighton, then you'd expect, if everything's A-OK, then to be starting, especially against Liverpool. But it is an interesting game on many counts. And it is, regarding Liverpool, it's their first real 
real issues that they've had over the last few years because they've been so good. So scoring a million points and, and not winning the league a couple of years ago, winning the Champions League, and then last season winning the Premier League in, in, in great style. I know it was a, a mixed-up season, but still they were by far the best side. And now, because it's gone slightly amiss, and I know they've had their, their, their big injury problems, but they, they really don't have a, a plan B. And when plan A hasn't gone well, it's really exposed that fact. The fact that plan A has gone well for the best part of two and a half seasons it really had to have been a, a plan B. Plan B for, for Liverpool really is just, you know, replaced players who are either missing or misfiring with, with other players. They don't have or they haven't needed to dig into the box of a, a change of tactics more times than not. You just look at Leicester and go, well, we've played in a back three scenario, even changed during a game because of certain players either misfiring or being taken off through injury. We've got the ability to change round. Um, you can also then kind of reply to that saying, well, yeah, but we, we haven't needed to because we've been so good. So... That's why Leicester, in this game, I think, I agree with you, just, just get on the front foot. And I think they will, and really take it to them. Because even though Liverpool are going to create chances, and they are they are going to be dangerous because they've got Sadio Mane, because they've got Mo Salah and whoever plays then in the centre. I know they've missed Yotta since he's turned up because he's been such a, a, a brilliant player for them since arriving from Wolves. But whoever's going to be playing up top, they're going to be dangerous and they're going to create chances and we're going to have to defend well. The keeper's going to have to play well again. But the onus is on Leicester. We are above them in the Premier League and we are a team who are in form. I know we've had a slightly patchy record at home, but Liverpool are the team who have got to answer all the questions. And I just hope that Leicester really start well, start uh, being really proactive and are the, quest, are, the, are the team to ask a lot of questions of this Liverpool side, especially at the back, because at the moment they have got no answers. It'll be interesting to see, for me, the the players that play in the wide attacking positions because I'm interested to get your thoughts, Pete. How did you think Perez did playing on the right-hand side of the sort of attacking three um, in the in the games against Fulham and Wolves, because we were we were talking on the preview podcast for those that would it be a straight swap between Ianacho and Perez if that happened, or would Perez still get the nod up front and Ianacho just have to sit on the bench? Who uh, I think, by the way, Ianacho played absolutely brilliantly against Fulham, um, led the line very well, looked after the ball really well. His turn to play Madison in for the for the second. You know, if, if Madison's somebody like Avardi, for example, he can burst away from the defenders there. He got it a little bit stuck under his feet, but did manage to sort of turn his way back into finding Justin. So Madison obviously did a lot of the work himself there, but Ianacho turned the defender like he wasn't there and then fizzed the ball into Madison's feet, which I think has been an area for me that, especially since Ianacho has almost matured a little bit into that slightly deeper striker he still is the main striker he's way more of a number nine than Perez ever has been or will be and he does occupy the center of defenders but he's more com comfortable with the, with his back to goal than he ever has been at Leicester in my opinion and I think he used the ball really well against Fulham and he still offered us the focal point against Wolves in certain areas but what do you, what do you think of Perez out wide Pete because or Brighton's got the nod there most of the time uh Rogers has explained why under hasn't 
been used pretty much uh, too much recently because especially in the games like the Fulham game where you want to see the game out and you need someone to do the defensive work unders not quite there yet would you go with Perez on the right hand side or do you think my, my personal opinion is I think he'll go for all Brighton on the right because he'll want that security of knowing that if anybody's going to track or attempt to track Robertson in particular back on a 60-70 yard run up the field of play, it's going to be all Brighton rather than Perez. Or I don't think Under's going to start. I think it's a toss-up between all Brighton and Perez. I agree. I think it will be all Brighton. And I think it will be the game where if all Brighton is replaced and we need to be more attacking for whatever reason, then it will be someone like Under then to come on rather than have Iosi Perez when we previewed the previous games, we were in the position of Iosi Perez is going to start. So we were looking at how he can play in that nine role, but he's going to drop slightly deep. So then you have the wide players going beyond him, etc., etc. I think it's now clear, if you look at the previous games, that first of all, Leicester, even though they can play with Perez in that role, it's now clear that Iheanacho needs to play as a number nine because Leicester need that person, first of all, in the penalty area. We don't score the first goal against Fulham without that player there. There is no way in a world that Iosi Perez would have been in that position. Could he have scored? Yes, definitely with his head. He's a good header of the ball, but he's not in that position. Does it help Iosi Perez when there is a number nine on the field? I believe it does. Um... But your question was, who plays in that wide role? Well, if you are if you have the choice between Iosi Perez and James Madison, who plays as the number 10 in the centre and who plays, as you would say, maybe a number 7 out wide on the right, for example? I know that wide player isn't exactly a touchline hogger, a bit like a, a Steve Guppy, for example, um, they're slightly more more central. It's an interesting conundrum. I think, in an attacking sense, when the ball is played into a penalty area from any angle, I would prefer Iosi Perez to be in a number 10 role because in the penalty area itself, he offers more than James Madison. But in the wide position, I would prefer it to be, say, a Madison or pretty much anyone else in the squad, to be perfectly honest, an under or even an Albrighton. And I would like Madison to be more central, which he would be. Uh, Albrighton has played very well, but still, it's 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 really difficult because I'd like to see Iosi Perez in there as a number 10. I really would do. Um, I think his, his time of being a number 9, I think the chance that he's he's had... I just don't don't see it anymore now. I, I think it really is. And I think it's not even for, for Brendan Rodgers. I think it's for Leicester fans as well to, to look at that and go, whatever the case is, when Jamie Vardy's not playing, um, Kalechi Inacho needs to start. He needs to play because we need someone right up top. Okay, Now, we know he can play as a number 10, but as you correctly said, he offers a lot more as a number 9 than Iosi Perez. So, overall... To cut this very long-winded answer, because I'm still trying to think, I would still I would go without Perez um, in that wide position. He can he can do a role there. We've seen him play pretty much full season last season in that role. Um, 
but I just think it is a square peg in a round hole. That's that's the main issue. There are players who can play in that role um, as their natural position. And as much as you can try and say, oh, you could try and shove a player in a position because they, you know, they are a good player and they offer X, Y, and Z. And maybe even with substitutions and the way that the game's going, you can move, having them in the side is great because you can move them into different areas. I think ultimately, when you're dealing at the top end of the Premier League with the squad and the side that we've got at the moment and the quality there, I, I think it is just a bit of a waste continuing to play a player in a role that doesn't suit them. I think when you have specialist players in those positions, you've just got to play them. And I think ultimately that is where we are with Iosi Perez now. The number nine hasn't really worked for him. He can play that role if needed, you know, if Kelechi's out and Vardy's out. Out wide on the right, we know he can play there. It's not his best position, but he does a job. I just think at the moment, and especially if we're going to be on the front foot against Liverpool, play the players who suit those roles best. Play them in their position. Might sound very simple, but I think if you look back at the previous, say, four games especially, that's been the scenario that's been, I think, spelled out to, to us and to City fans. The thing about Michael Brighton as well is, yes, he, he has his limitations. Of course he does. And physically, he seems to sometimes struggle with the pace of Premier League football these days. But... If if we're talking about trying to get at the Liverpool defence, and the best way to do that is to do it early before they've got the chance to set themselves, then Albrighton has shown time and time again in a Leicester shirt that he's a king of the early ball. He's a king of early service to forward players, and I think Perez, when he gets on the ball, he's, he's technically he's very sound and he's quite he can be quite creative. Um, but I think with Albrighton, what you get is I'm going to get a touch, I'm going to get my head up and I'm going to look for somebody or an area. Whichever comes into my eyesight first, that's what I'm going to do. And if you had a load of players like that, it'd be it'd be pretty useless. But with him there and then Madison, who looks to create things more subtly in the centre and then Barnes down the left, who creates things purely by putting the frighteners on defenders by running directly at them and then you've got Vardy who when he's playing on the shoulder you know as a defender you can't take any chances because when he times it right which he invariably does and he gets in behind you chances are that ball's in the back of the net so having Albrighton out there it gives you the chance to move the ball forward early but it means that we've got a different dynamic coming through every section of the front line for Leicester and I've got to admit, probably two, three months ago, if I was sitting here advocating or Brighton starting over anybody else on the right-hand side in a big, big game against Liverpool, then I would have called you silly, to be perfectly honest with you. I would not for one second have believed that I would be talking up Mark or Brighton as the man to start with with no injury problems in those positions for Leicester, I wouldn't be talking about Albrighton as the man to start against Liverpool, but here we are, that's what I'm doing. But I think he offers a level of balance between defence and attack and, and that early ball, which I think could be absolutely crucial on Saturday against Liverpool because 
if you play in front of players like Henderson and Fabinho, they will be well drilled enough, even in this short period of time, to know how to shuffle about, to squeeze the space, to make sure that they're in the defensive line, to make sure there's not too big a gap between themselves, to make sure they're tight, um, that they're communicating well with their fullbacks. But the second that you get those kind of players turning around and facing their own goal, it's a position nobody wants to be in, but it's a position defenders are used to being in. Whereas central midfielders... You're playing Vardy on your shoulder. You've got Barnes running at you. They could be in for a very, very long afternoon if we keep at it. If we show them too much respect and play, try and play too much in front of them, I think that's the, the best way that Liverpool are going to keep us out. We've got to try and get in behind early. And I think all Brighton offers us the best chance to do that because Perez isn't going to do it. And under is unproven. But maybe this is the kind of game where 20 minutes to go and you need a bit of a spark, he comes on. But it's it's all Brighton for me, which I didn't necessarily think at this stage of his Leicester career I'd be saying. Oh, it's, it's definitely all Brighton for me. I, I agree with you as well. When you have these centre-half partnerships, both of which aren't a centre-half, and then they come up against the Jamie Vardy, it's not necessarily just Jamie Vardy um, himself who they ultimately will possibly either lose track of it will be the the players around Vardy so you mentioned about stretching the game I completely agree you got Jordan Henderson and Fabinho and they'll be like right Vardy this Vardy that they'll struggle with his movement but it's not just that it's the players then following in I think James Madison's got a really important role to be as close to Vardy as possible especially when the ball has been played probably by James Madison out wide to the wide players to get to the the byline to maybe cut back it's those it's that position in which I think Liverpool will then struggle. And it's a position where Leicester have been in an awful lot. It's the kind of classic Leicester goal now, really, of those wide players getting beyond the man and then pulling it back for a player running in. Maybe even a Yuri Tillemans, for example, another player who will be told to get forward and get on the end of those. It didn't quite work for him when the ball was played to him on the edge of the area against Wolves. It was a complete air kick. I think that kind of summed up that match completely. And I mentioned the lack of quality on the field. But uh, that position, because if you're a centre-half, you could spend all week looking at the runs of Jamie Vardy and looking at the quick balls in behind. There's an awful lot of footage to go from, and both players have played against Jamie Vardy, yes, in their normal positions in midfield, but they know exactly what's going to happen. But it's when the ball breaks down and the game becomes quite open, maybe in and around the penalty area or it gets beyond when, all of a sudden, the lack of knowledge of being a centre-half, maybe just to hold, even not even to move into a position, but maybe just to hold their place and go, right, don't panic, stay in your position, and then wait for the ball to come and be played back. That's when, I think, the lack of ability of being a centre-half and positional sense, etc., and keeping your head and keeping tight will become a problem. And that's what I'll be looking for in the game. And it's probably not just down to Jamie Vardy then to get on the end of balls. It will be him to create the chaos for others then to exploit. Um, having maybe an Ayuzi Perez behind him could be actually an, a, a, a decent thing then because uh, he would be more than likely being able to get on the end of these things. He'll be more than likely a player to, to get in the penalty area. Who knows? Maybe even if Kelechi goes and scores a, a hat-trick against Brighton, maybe they can kind of look at the situation and go, well, I should play Iniacho and uh, Jamie Vardy. Who knows? We'll, we'll wait and see. But um, it's... 
it's an area we've spoke about an awful lot so far, but it, it really is the scenario because the rest of the Leicester side picks itself. Uh, the midfield situation, if Wilf is not in the side, um, I wouldn't be at all surprised if maybe even Mendy comes back. It, it depends on who you look in, in the Liverpool midfield because if they're going to be fairly lightweight, um, you would then look at some... It's quite an easy thing to say with Mendy because you think, well, you know, if he's a lightweight midfield, then he won't be you know, pushed off the ball. But that's just not not the case, really, is it? With Mendy, he's a a proper bull, and um, and it's kudos to Hamza Chowdhury the fact that he's kept his place. I know he played well against Fulham, and he deserved then to keep his place against Wolves. Um, but he's had two very good games, and he's at the moment keeping Papi Mendy out of the side. And I know you need to kind of swap these players around because at the moment you're missing Wilfred and Didi and you can't just rely on one. You need to give both players time and, and, and game time at the moment because they might be playing um, more than not in the next few games depending on Wilf's uh, injury. So it was an obvious thing to do to give game time to Hamza. The fact that he started him was probably not the obvious thing. It worked out completely and, and hats off to, to Brendan Rodgers. But... I just think now, in this scenario of a, a Hamza Chowdhury in form, we know what Mendy can do, and he's been in form as well. It's uh, it's just a real 50-50, and I don't think it's an easy thing to predict who would play in the absence of Wilfred Ndidi. Would it be a Mendy? Well, yeah. Would it be Hamza Chowdhury? Yeah. You, you can't really say hand on heart, which one, it would just be a guess, wouldn't it? It'd be a 50-50 guess. The rest of the side picks itself. And I think this is the one game where in fullback positions, I know Robertson and Trent uh, Alexander-Arnold haven't really let the, let the Premier League on fire, really, compared to what they have done in previous years. We now have possibly the most informed fullback in the Premier League in James Justin. We're getting back. He's not a hundred percent. We know Ricardo Pereira. He's getting back. I just hope with Pereira because at the moment I still think he's only eighty, eighty-five percent of the player that we had. I just hope that in time, once he gets full match fitness and fully up to speed, that actually he is fully up to speed. Whether it's not, you're looking at a player maybe let's just say ten games into. Well, no, no, not even into next season. Let's just say five or six games down the line, you're looking at a fully fit and firing Ricardo Pereira. But still, you're looking at him going, do you know what? He's actually just 5% off the player we had before. Whether the injury hasn't just knocked that little bit of X-factor off him, which of course it can do, that sort of injury. He could return and not be as good a player as he was. Still an exceptional player, but just not have that that final 5%. Hopefully that's not the case, but at the moment, you know, it's, um, it's still quite up in the air. But... What a game for the fullback watchers. Just in one side, Pereira the other side, Robertson and uh, and Trent. And hopefully it's our two fullbacks who are pushing theirs and ultimately decide the game. I very much hope so. That we've we've talked a lot about what ifs could it be could be's conjecture. Uh, I guess the final question that I've got about this this game against Liverpool on Saturday is how much of an impact do do you think it's going to have on Leicester's season? This is another what if scenario kind of prediction kind of thing rather than a than actually anything tangible that we can talk about. But if Leicester City win this game, 
What that does instantly, if you just look solely at the league table, is opens up a six-point gap between us and one of our top four rivals. Um, and then equally on balance, the other way around, if Liverpool win the game, then they go level on points with us and above us in the league. And therefore, you would say that you've lost ground on one of your top four rivals. But... I'm I'm thinking more sort of mid-term than that in terms of the final, what will be after that game, 14 games of the season. A Leicester win could, psychologically, not that they need too much of a boost at the moment because they've shown that they're psychologically and mentally pretty strong in terms of responding to a very disappointing defeat against Leeds uh, with a win and a draw away. But psychologically, it could be a huge boost for Leicester because that, that six-point gap and the fact that they know that they've just beaten the defending champions, regardless of what kind of state their squad is in uh, and their form is in, you, you take that, you say, we've be just beaten Liverpool, we're six points ahead of them now, we're very firmly inside the top four, this could kick us on to, to achieve the objective in the final 14 games of the season. And, and I think that that would have a wholly positive effect. Now, losing to Liverpool is arguably less uh, less of a, a, a of a result to turn your nose up at than than the Leeds defeat, because in many many seasons you would not expect to lose to them, but not be surprised to lose to them. But do you think in the, on this particular occasion where where there is quite a significant amount of weight to this game in terms of the fact that they are direct rivals for a top four place. Do you think a defeat could dent Leicester in the sense that, that it could cause then a, a dip in form and have a huge impact on our top four hopes, not just on the fact that, the, that that's a top four rival gaining three points on us, but in terms of knock-on effect in, in games to come, especially with the calendar the way it is? No. And it's an interesting answer for, for a couple of reasons. I don't think, if Leicester lose this game, I don't think it will have a huge effect on Leicester going forward in their games, or in our games and our performances. Um, and ultimately, when it comes to the top four, that's vitally important. But on the flip side, if Liverpool lose... Yes, Leicester will go six points clear, but again, I don't think that's going to have any real impact because we're so far away still from the end of the season, even though it's slowly creeping up, as I mentioned. But in terms of gaps to other teams, I'm still not in that scenario of matching up game by game. But I think it would have more of an effect on Liverpool than it would Leicester, a defeat. So Leicester lose, and then... Because we have cup games, we can quickly get over it, etc. And I don't think it will have a big effect on, on, on then games coming up in the Premier League. But Liverpool, if they lose, uh, they could find themselves as low as down in, what, seventh place at the end of the game. And I think because of the scenario that they're in this season, that would have more of an effect on them than it would Leicester. So Leicester win, fantastic. They beat Liverpool... And that's a huge boost to Leicester going forward, um, not only on the league table front, but also um, psychologically because of the victory against 
the reigning champions this stage of the season, etc. Um, where, of course, it went slightly amiss last season and all that. But I, again, I just think it's more on Liverpool. I think if they lose, um, it would have a more of an effect on them than it would Leicester. Now, ultimately, that would be a good thing um, for Leicester on two fronts then. You know, not only do we get the three points, but we go further clear of Liverpool and, and their problems mount. Um, you, you, get, you look at the two sides and there's, there's three points between them in the league, yet they're a million miles away from each other when it comes to our current form, current expectations, and that's that's really where I'm going from from this answer. You, Liverpool are a Let's, let's put it frank, they're a mess. They're an absolute mess. They're reigning champions. Their defence of their league title is a complete mess. Um, their defence is a mess. <laughs> uh, their um, replacement of Virgil van Dijk, etc. and other players was, let's just put it, it was a disaster at the moment. It's It's been a complete disaster. And they are struggling to find any answer at all. And they look a, a beaten, demoralised side. On the flip side, they've always got the, the star players who are world-class players, some of the best players in the world, and that can get them out of trouble in any game. And they will win games just through those one or two players just turning up for a, a, a five-minute spell, scoring a brace, etc. But let's just put it, they are a mess. And then you look at Leicester and, you know, we don't have to go into detail. Everyone knows how well everything's going on three fronts in the Europa League, hopefully still in the FA Cup and in the Premier League in third place. And who knows by the end of the game against United, against uh, Liverpool because we'll be above Manchester United and the Premier League if we uh, are successful up until, obviously, then United's performance. So, overall, if Leicester win, brilliant, fantastic, what a win. And it will mean a lot for Leicester going forward in the Premier League. But I think more upstairs rather than the table. I think it will be more of a psychological thing. But if it's a defeat for Leicester, I just think it's quite easy to go, right, move on, next game. And there's plenty of those to get over it. And I don't think it'll have a big effect on the side. Liverpool, if they lose, it's just another nail in the coffin of their title defence. <laughs> it's almost as bad as ours. This is almost like having Roy Keane on the podcast, this. Liverpool are a mess. Right, follow follow up. Liverpool are a mess with your score prediction. Score prediction. And I'm, I mean, I'm going to do an awful... Mainly because I've got nothing else to do this week at all. This week, last week and the week before. I... I'm gonna I'm gonna be on quite a few Liverpool podcasts. I've got three lined up at the moment uh, to do. So I'm gonna be very very um, boisterous when it comes to my Leicester prediction for the game. Um, it's gonna be a home win. It's gonna be a home win. Uh, I think it might be slightly a bit too gung ho, even though we've been great at the back and Schmeichel's having a fantastic season, etc., etc. I think it might be a bit too much to say it's going to be a clean sheet, but I, I can see Leicester winning. I'm going to go for a 2-1 win um, and probably being 2-0 up at the time, but I can see them maybe getting the goal back. But um, yeah, 2-1 two, one City and uh, well, it's Liverpool at home, so it's going to be Jamie Vardy, isn't it? I'm hoping that when you go on these Liverpool podcasts, you're going to say something daft like four-one Leicester, and two-one Leicester is your is your honest and considered prediction. 
you know, 49% of me wants to say 2-1 Leicester. But I think just edging it, and and I hope I'm proved wrong, but I'm going to go a little bit more cautious and, and go for a 1-1. I think Liverpool are will be desperate to arrest the the slump. They will, I think, be approaching it in a similar way to, to what you just said there, Pete. The fact that them losing this could be... Um, well, it is just one extra nail in the... Um, in the in the in the coffin that that was their Premier League title defence that is slowly sinking further and further into the ground, so I, I think they'll they'll probably be a little bit more compact than they normally are because they'll be wary of the threats that we have because they know that we despite the the, the Leeds defeat we are on a, a fairly handy run of form uh, and we are direct top four rivals so I think it's going to be. A little bit cagey, if I'm honest with you, but with a couple of goals. So I'm going to go 1-1. One, one. It's I I think in the game, depending on how it starts, I first of all, Leicester need to take their chances. That's quite obvious. In any game of football, you need to take your chances, but they will need to take their chances when they're on top. And I think in this game, I can, think, I can see Leicester being on top for the majority of the game, almost out-Liverpooling Liverpool. I think that we'll have... The majority possession, I think, especially if Wilf is playing, then we'll dominate the midfield. And then it's just whether we can ram home that advantage and take our chances. Because again, they have so many dangerous players going forward that they could score in an instant. And we could dominate 15 minutes of play, create two or three chances, really be on top. And then all of a sudden Liverpool go down the other end and score. That's no great surprise. But I think there's going to be spells in this game when City fans are going to sit back and go, we are dominating the champions here. We're playing so well. It's just they need to, to need to score. When they're on top, Leicester will need to score because, again, that they are such a dangerous side and, and, and they can score at any, any moment at all. They're some fantastic players. I still, I still think Saudio Mane is slightly underrated, if that's a case. I might be. I I don't like the term actually underrated. Underrated is your fullback who has played for two hundred and fifty games for the club and is nowhere near getting uh, underrated. Is is that kind of player for me? I think maybe saying on Sadio Mane, one of the best players in the Premier League in Europe, in fact, is underrated. Maybe being a bit too uh, too flippant there, but uh, I think he's a fantastic player, absolutely fantastic, and. Um, we know what Mo Salah's about, but Sadio Mane for me is is um, almost a better player, a, a real all-round forward who could play in any position. I still think Sadio Mane, and this is maybe well purely because of the way that they have the false nine with Firmino who's playing there, who's who's a great player. Um, I I would love to have seen, and I think it's going to happen in the future, but Sadio Mane as a slap bang number nine. Just right down there in the central position because he can he can finish. He's obviously lightning quick. He's really good in the air, and I just think he would be an all round forward. He's, he is very quick, and once his pace starts to wane, I think he has all the attributes to be a slap bang number nine centre forward. At the moment, he plays obviously just slightly wide with Salah on the other side. You look at someone like Mo Salah, who can obviously play as a number nine, and he could score goals in any position. But if you had the choice between 
either Mane or Salah as being a, a number nine for your for your team. I'd go Mane. I think he would be a fantastic number nine. So we'll see what happens. Fingers crossed for Saturday morning. And fingers crossed for the game on Wednesday uh, against Brighton, which by the time you listen to this, this could be either Tuesday night, it could be Wednesday. Um, so when it comes to the preview, Rob, it's slightly awkward. Um, but... It's a proper chance to get through to the next round of the cup. It is. It's something we've talked about on on a couple of previous podcasts, especially when we got through the the last round, isn't it? Um, there'll be changes. There'll be younger players. Uh, I think in terms of the momentum of the season and the fact that we're going to be playing pretty much two games a week, hopefully in the Europa League as well for for the foreseeable future. We might as well be in the FA Cup as well. It'd be. Um, very positive to to win it especially with uh, with giving other players some opportunities and it would keep the feel good factor around the club if we if we continue in the premier league in the fa cup rather yep and uh, and we'll just have to see how it goes i'd imagine leicester will put out a strong team maybe one or two uh, slight changes it's not a lot of time between a, an evening game on a wednesday and then the early kickoff on a on a saturday I'd imagine maybe a Thomas coming in, possibly, uh, depending on how well... Maybe Pereira playing these games, depending on whether he needs another 90 minutes or whether there's a plan to maybe give him a rest with a view to playing against Liverpool. Maybe Thomas comes in, for example, and then uh, you can have a scenario of then Justin swapping over to the right-hand side. No problems there. At midfield, again, maybe even Mendy coming in, possibly, for Chowdhury. Maybe even the case that both play. Who knows? And then have... Um, a scenario of, of, of one of the forward players, someone like a Madison, maybe dropping back into a number eight role to add a bit of creativity in midfield, which then gives an opportunity for someone like Cengiz Under to then play um, on the right because you have those two midfielders who are more defensive adding a bit of cover. Maybe have um, Mendy as the sitter and have Chowdhury as the player to kind of cover both sides and slightly more on the right for Cengiz Under to be more central that's what I'd imagine will be the case uh, so it gives an opportunity maybe even the goalkeeper changes as well but it's a, a a grand chance to get through against the side just a quick look at Brighton and um, I've got a mate who's a big Brighton fan I've said before and and uh, and they've had a brilliant result away at Anfield and then before that they've looked really really solid and uh, I know they've had a, a changing goal I, I I still think it's an, and I mentioned about underrated things I still think the goalkeeping position is a position which is not underrated but you people still and that's not just fans but even when you look at teams and the way that they purchase players and the way that they they chop and change at the back I still think the the goalkeeper's position is a, a position which is underrated in the purchasing power of football clubs. You look at so many teams and they will change their centre-halves, they will change their full-backs, they will buy this player, buy that player, and it not work. And then all of a sudden, there'll be a changing goalkeeper, more than not, uh, for a reason of changing because of cup games or because of an injury and all of a sudden the player comes in and it's almost like the entire defense has been recharged and energized and the players that they've brought in at the back all of a sudden look like uh, the player that they bought and and the example is prime with Arsenal and their goalkeeper and they ship him off to Aston Villa and Villa have been brilliant at the back and you look at Brighton 
reasonably solid side but started to ship goals and then all of a sudden became a side where we know that they don't score many but they started to concede look at a bit of a mess and be in some real bother change rounding keepers all of a sudden everything looked really solid at the back and they're moving up the table and having some really good results it's uh I don't know. Yeah, I, I sometimes still think uh, teams persist with goalkeepers too long. And Manchester United, my keeper, my word, what a what a mess he is still. I think that's uh, and they've got a great goalkeeper on the bench. But anyway, that's just my uh, my look at Brighton. But with their success in the league, I still think even though the cup would be a results or a competition that they should really go for because. I don't think they're going to go down at all. I still think there's there's no real problems there in the Premier League, especially after the recent wins. I can't see any reason why Brighton won't be at full pelt and full strength. Um, will it be the case? I'd imagine maybe not because it's the FA Cup and managers still like to chop and change and they might have certain players in the squad who haven't played and need game time, but almost not because of injury, maybe because they're demanding game time and they're kind of forced into doing it. But... I can't see any reason why they wouldn't play their their bang-up first team against Leicester. But if, even with a few changes for City, it's still a great opportunity to get through. And who knows, get a nice draw in the next round and uh, we could all not be driving down to Wembley. Oh, don't. I was hoping you wouldn't mention that this time. But yeah, it, I think there will be changes for both sides. I think that's inevitable with given the, the current calendar. Uh, Brighton have got a few players missing anyway, so and and we haven't really. We've got the opportunity to bring a couple possibly back in for some more game time. We know Vardy's going to feature, so touch wood, we are through to the next round of the FA Cup. When you're listening to this, unless you're very keen and you're listening to us on Tuesday evening as soon as it's gone out, then the chances are you know the result of the Brighton game. So fingers crossed that we're we're talking about um, progression in the in the FA Cup. Something though, Pete, I'm not particularly good at progressing in is uh, is the Fantasy Football League. So the top 10 of the For Fox 8 podcast Fantasy Football League. No sign of Rob. But in 10th place, down in 10th place, 1,412 points, it's Gareth Bell with Bulldogs Forever. Up into 9th, it's Rob Baker with FC Bakelona. Uh, 1,415 points. Up into 8th place, Steve Curtin, FC Vladovic Barbers, 1,416 points. Down into 7th place, John Follows, GFC Leicester, 1,418 points. Up into 6th place, it's Tyler Hunya with Team Lau, 1,428 points. Top 5, down into 5th. It's John Almeida with Sagres United, 1,433 points. Down into fourth, Joe Healy, Les Dennis, 1,446 points. Top three, up into third place, Humza Yazdani, FC Mordor, 1,461 points. And once again, no change at the top. It's Luke Taylor in second, Taylor made 1,487 points. And in front by 10 points, Number one, Sam Lau with 1,497 points. So that's the top 10. Uh, myself, I'm down in 15th place. Um, not a bad week, 62 points. It started really well because I captained uh, Fernandez. 
Uh, and at the time against Everton, uh, he scored and thought it was going to be a really good week. And and then all of a sudden, nothing really else happened for him. A Rashford and assist, etc. Calvert Lew in some points, but then the defence kind of fell apart really. Um, so I'm, I'm how far am I? I'm around about 17 points off the uh, off the top 10. But uh, yeah, there we are. Not uh, not too bad. There was one or two really good scores. Uh, Rob Baker up into ninth place. He got 90 points. Oh, he's used his bench boost and he got quite a few points on his bench. wonder where he came from. There we go. Uh, Rob. Yeah, uh, this, is, this is where you say my name and then go silent because you're scrolling as slowly as possible down to right near the bottom. You could just do the big scroll, do the big swipe along your uh, phone, get all the way to the bottom uh, and then just scroll up a couple from there. I'm, I'm at 140th. I've actually moved down. I didn't. I, I started off all right like you. I had Fernandes in my team. I didn't captain him. I made another poor choice on the captain uh, this time with Antonio. Um but I picked up some decent points. Calvert-Lewin um, obviously scored me some points as well. But then um, I finally came around to put it to fitting Suchek in my team because he scores goals for fun. Uh, and then not only does he not score for West Ham, he manages to get sent off. Now, what I would really like to happen is, now that that red card has been overturned by the Premier League, surely it gets overturned and I get three more points for him in my fantasy team. But I'm just looking at it, and that actually hasn't happened, which is quite frustrating. But, you know, I got 52, which is only six points below average. But right now, at this stage of the season, I don't need average. <laughs> yeah, I you don't, unfortunately. Once the, uh, to, to... once the red card's been just want to be in the given out, that's it. You know, that even though they get rescinded, it's, uh, it, it doesn't change. But... Uh, Interesting week this week because there's some sides with double game weeks, the likes of Man City, uh, I think Everton as well have got uh, a double game week. So there's going to be some sides that have plenty of players who play twice and some sides that don't. And well, it's quite nice and easy, isn't it? You know, if you've got a player who plays two games in a week, it's a, it's a big advantage. Looking down my side, I've got a few. Um, I've got Edison, Cancelo, Sterling, uh, Michael Keane, Calvert-Lewin, all... Uh, playing two games. The question I've got is, who do I captain? Do I captain Raheem Sterling, who play at, at home against Spurs and away at Everton, or do I captain Calvert-Lewin, who are at home against Fulham and then at home against Manchester City? So that's an interesting scenario. So I'm quite hopeful of a good week this week. It's just which captain I think is going to be. I think they're, they're the two players who are going to be captained an awful lot this week. And... Um, it's just a case of uh, of which one I go for. For that Suchek red card was just a disaster all round when it comes to VAR because you've got Suchek who obviously didn't mean to do it. Now, first of all, if you two foot someone or you come in with your studs up and you catch someone or whatever and you go, oh, I didn't mean to do it. Yeah, right. Come on. You know, even if you injure a player really badly. Things things can happen, even if you didn't mean to do it. But this was just... If you haven't seen the incident, he raised his arm to move it backwards as they're not even jockeying for a free kick in a position for a free kick on the edge of the box. They were just about to get moving. And it's caught Mitrovic on the eye, essentially, or just on... And Mitrovic has just held his eyes if say, oh, you've just caught me... And 
instantly the hands go up, oh, sorry, mate, you know, I didn't mean to do that. And he kind of holds on to Mitrovic, who straight away, he's not, you know, asking for a red card. In fact, Mitrovic um, apparently went to his defence and said, look to the FA, look, you know, this wasn't an elbow. Now, surely the referee, who more than, I don't know whether he actually saw it in real time, but then he goes to the to the screen and I can understand why the VAR people at Stockley said, look, go and have a look at this incident. He has a look at the incident and sees it and just goes straight away. You go, oh, it's just a collision. You know, it's a, it's an accidental collision. Um, and yet, no, red card. And you just think, well, come on. Overall, I think he had an awful lot of uh, determination and the, and the end result of the game. But what a... Just what a what a mess, and obviously things has happened since then. Well, you know, all sorts of stuff has happened regarding the referee, and it's not very nice and that. But come on, it it was the most simple decision, really. And um, well, he, he was going to referee. I don't think he's going to referee the game midweek. He was meant to be refereeing at Leicester, but uh, Mike Dean's been uh, uh, stood down for a few games. I think uh, he's stood down himself. So, uh, but yeah, it was. A decision which VAR was actually there just to have a second look for and go, actually, yeah, that's that's this. And then ultimately it wasn't used properly and the, the decision still applied. Sometimes a, a stupid error, even when accidentally given, you go and take a second look and if the referee made the error in the first first instance, sometimes they, they don't want to correct themselves and they can make an error even looking at a slow-mo replay but uh, there we go we've ended on VAR Rob I was going to say, shall we wrap it up there before you get any more carried away into another rant let's let, let's just thank our lucky stars that Mike Dean's not refereeing um, obviously the the death threats are abhorrent and shouldn't shouldn't even be a thing, it's, it's a game of football at the end of the day um, but thankfully he's not refereeing our game yes VAR uh, didn't cover itself in, in much glory there uh, let's let's uh, let's finish on a positive um, Leicester to win in the FA Cup Leicester to beat Liverpool uh, Leicester to get top four in the in the Premier League at the end of the season I think so I think we can finish there and we'll be back uh, before the game against Slavia Prague that's on um, Thursday uh, a week on Thursday uh, on the 18th, so um, and that's a, what 5:55 kickoff, I believe, on the Thursday. So there's plenty of time then uh, for us to come back with another episode, looking back, hopefully, at progressing in the FA Cup, hopefully, at getting three points against defending champions Liverpool at the King Power early on Saturday, and then we can discuss those two great victories with a look forward to our last 32 or round of 32 game in the Europa League. <laughs>